My subject this morning is the New Covenant. Our study is coming from the book of Hebrews, and the book reveals the object of our faith, which is Jesus Christ, and it brings to us the mystery of Christ and the New Covenant. We can translate uh, the book of Hebrews as God's message to us to explain to us this whole issue of our growing and our believing and what it means for us to put those things into practice. The, the best, I think, the best chapter or the best book in the Bible that explains to us what faith is is found in Hebrews. In fact, Hebrews 11.1 1 tells us, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, and the conviction of things not seen. Well, I suppose we could sum that up and translate that into meaning that faith is a solid confidence and believing that God exists and that he rewards those who have faith towards him, believe in him, and that reward is our inheritance as Christians. If you're a born-again Christian, you have an inheritance. The Bible refers to that as the gift that you receive when you're born again, and that is eternal life. Eternal life comes to you through Christ, and it is a gift for you. It's not something that you earn. It's nothing that you deserve. It is strictly a gift that you receive. Now, the book of Hebrews has been the key that has unlocked the reality of God's grace. We hear a lot of messages today about God's grace. In fact, the last 20 years, there's been more books written on grace than perhaps any other subject of the Bible. Now, the truth is that this new covenant that we're going to be talking about this morning has been, get, has been the key for us to understanding our growth and our experience in God. The question we need to ask ourselves this morning, are we living in the new covenant or are we still in the old? Do we really believe what the new covenant has brought to us or have we a mixture of the old and the new? And I'm afraid that that is the problem today. The new, the new Covenant encompasses all that Jesus Christ has done and accomplished for us. And that means everything. I want you to keep in mind that the cross is the dividing line of human history from God's point of view. Now, from the world's point of view, as we know that we know from our history that B.C., is before Christ, and A.D. is after the year of our Lord. So here, the world looks at it as the birth of Christ. But from God's point of view, it's not the birth of Christ. It's the cross. In reality, what we should be, be hearing and believing is that B.C. is before Christ. A.D. is after the death of Christ, after the cross. 
That is God's point of view of the world's history. B.C., before Christ, after the death of Christ, is after the cross. Jesus Christ has brought in something better, according to this new covenant that we're going to be studying this morning. Something much better, and we need to understand how we get it on this side of the cross. The difference between the new and the old is not heard much today. You'll hear messages about grace, and you'll hear them almost in every denomination all around the world about God's grace. But you'll seldom hear the difference between law and grace. And that's because that we have mixed the two. And that's why you very seldom hear messages out of the book of Hebrews. Is because Hebrews does not mix the two. You cannot mix law and grace. I know from my own personal experience for 15 years as a preacher, I mixed law and grace. I tried to make sense out of it. And so I preached it with everything I had within me to do so. And I took some of grace and some of the law and I put them together. And not long ago, I took out one of my old sermons when I was an evangelist. And I thought to myself, how, how in the world did I come to that conclusion? Why didn't I see this before? In Hebrews 9, 16... The Bible says this, for where a covenant is, there must of necessity be the death of the one who made it. Now, all of us who made wills, we know that that will doesn't come into effect until, we, until we're dead. And then the Bible says here, for when every commandment has been spoken by Moses to all the people according to the law... He took the blood of the calves and the goats with water and scarlet, wool and hippos and sprinkled both the book itself and all of the people. Now, this must have been quite a sight because the priest would sprinkle the book and then he'd throw the blood on all the people. And then the Bible says here, saying, this is the blood of the covenant which God commanded you. And in the same way, he sprinkled both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry with the blood. And according to the law, one may almost say, all things are cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Now, I suppose that we have all read that many, many times. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. But notice here, this. For every Christian who thinks that they need more forgiveness from their sins than Jesus already provided at the cross, well, what would have to happen? He would have to die again. In the blood-based program that God laid out in the Old Testament, it's only the blood that forgives. It's not the asking, pleading, asking God to forgive me for my sins, that does it. It's only the blood. 
Only the blood does it. As Christians, we live in a state of forgiveness. Now, I know that's hard for some people for hearing it for the first time, but we live in a state of forgiveness. In other words, your sins are forgiven. Next week's sins are already forgiven. Next year's sins are already forgiven. Because Christ died for the sins of the world, so the sin issue is over. It is over. There is nobody who's going to be lost because of sin. It's going to be because of unbelief. And that's the key. That's the issue. That's the response of the new covenant. Now, there is a better covenant, the Bible says, and that is the new one. In Hebrews 8.6, the Bible says this. But now he has obtained a much more excellent ministry by as much as he also the mediator he is also the mediator of a better covenant which has been enacted on better promises so we have a better covenant given to us on better promises the ministry of Jesus Christ is superior to the old covenant and it is founded on better promises Notice some of those promises that God gives to us today. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will be with you all the way to the end. I will never leave you. And I love you unconditionally. This is part of the new covenant. In verse 7, the Bible says this. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion sought for a second. Now, a lot of people say, wait a minute. What do you mean that the first was faultless? I mean, did God bring something to us that was faultless? Was, what was it about the covenant that was faultless? Was it its regulations? Was it its law? No, the Bible says the law is holy, just, and good. It wasn't the law. Well, then what was it? It was me being under the law. That was the problem. It is my efforts that was the problem. They failed every time they made their commitment to God. Moses heard them say, all that, you ask, all that God asks us to do, we'll do. I mean, we're willing to do everything. And yet they failed over and over and over again. So, what was it then? The law produces human effort. Grace produces human dependency and trusting on God. That is the difference. That's why Paul says the law kills. It'll kill you. The law says get busy trying or die trying. That's what the law does. So the law kills, just as Paul said it would. In verse 8, the Bible says here, For finding fault with them. Who are them? Well, the book of Hebrews was written to the Jewish people. And so a lot of people think, well, that must have been just for the Jews. No, it's not just for the Jews. By finding fault with them, he's talking about Jews and Gentiles, which I'll show you in just a moment. He's talking about the human beings, the human race. 
for finding fault with them. He says, Behold, days are coming, says the Lord, when I will effect a new covenant and with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. And the Bible says, Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers on the day which I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, for they did not continue in my covenant, and I did not care for them, says the Lord. And I did, excuse me, and I did not care for them, says the Lord. Because they wouldn't hold up their end of the bargain. All that you say we will do, God, we will do. And none of them were able to do it. It's the same way with us. We make promises today that we can never, we never, we never fulfill them. We never keep them. We even make promises to family members, to each other, and we, we fall short. And we don't always keep those promises. So, let's take a look at this idea that God was maybe always just speaking to the, to the Jewish people here, to the house of Israel. Now, in 2 Corinthians 3, 6, the Bible says this, who also made us adequate as servants of the new covenant. Now, he's talking to the Gentiles here. This is in Corinthians. He's talking to the Corinthians believers who also made us adequate as servants of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. Now here, the word letter means the law. But he says, not of the letter, not of the law, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, for the law kills, but the spirit gives life. And then the Bible says in verse 9, not like the covenant, that I, which, which I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, they did not continue in my covenant, and I did not care for them, says the Lord. This passage indicates that the new is unlike anything else before. It solves a problem that was never solved before. And what was that problem? It is our failure to remain faithful. Hebrews solves that problem. Now, the new covenant is going to somehow, this is going to show us somehow that it will cause people to remain faithful even when their own strength fails them. This, the new covenant involves God's desires being written inside of us so that we have a guarantee of being God's people no matter what. No matter what. Now, in verse 10, the Bible says this. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my spirit into their mind and I will write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Now, as a new Christian, I thought that the author of Hebrews was saying that he would write the Ten Commandments on my heart. And I believed it, 
And I didn't connect the dots then for some reason. But then when I started reading the epistles, and I was reading Paul's writings, then I began to connect those dots. And you see, it just doesn't make sense. Here we say, Paul says, that we are dead to the law, and yet it's written on our hearts. Paul says that you are not under the law, and yet it's written on our hearts. The, Paul says that the, the law kills, and yet we're led to believe that it's written on our hearts. No, it's not true at all. The new covenant is not about the Ten Commandments, not about the laws of Moses. It's about Jesus' laws. And it's recorded in Luke 10, 27. And the Bible says, and he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. That's what God writes on our hearts. It's not the Ten Commandments. It's not the 613 laws that the Jewish people had. It's not the civil laws that the Jewish people had. It's not the ceremonial laws that Jesus had. And it's not the Ten Commandment law. It is Jesus' laws as recorded in Scripture. He says to those of us that are Gentiles, and you're either Jew or Gentile, those of us that are Gentiles, he says to us that you are free from that. But you have allowed yourself to be under the law. Now, I mentioned here once before that I spent four years in going through in West Virginia, visiting different churches. And I wanted to find out what they were hearing from the pulpit. And most of the people, even, even some of them that preached a good message on grace, it seems like at the end they threw everybody under the bus. They brought in a law from the Old Testament. In other words, what they were saying to people is that you are not under law. And then they brought in the tithing law. And then they brought in other laws to put people under. And that's not what God intended for us to do. God intended for us to live in freedom, not under the law, but under his law. And his law is to love, love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, and love your neighbor. And if you do that, you're fulfilling what God intended for you to fulfill. Now, in Hebrews... 8.13, it says, when he said, a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete. But whatever is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to disappear. Now, there's something wrong with the old covenant. That's why God had to bring in a new covenant. Now, the old covenant was that they couldn't be faithful. They couldn't remain faithful. Every time they tried, it took them five minutes. Moses going up to receive the Ten Commandments. Five, five minutes after he's gone, they're building the golden calf to a foreign pagan god. 
So we couldn't, and, and we experienced the same thing. At New Year's, it seems like everybody makes a New Year's resolution. Most of the time, it's they're going to lose so much weight. And they do good for a couple of weeks, and then they go right back to what, what had happened. And they get mad at themselves. They get upset at themselves. And so do we as Christians. When we sin, we get upset at myself. I used to think when, when I sin, I'd go, what's wrong with me anyway? Why can't I get it straight? Why can't I get it up here? And I found out <clears throat> that it's very difficult for all of us, but God solved the problem for us. He says, he remains faithful even if you're faithless. He remains faithful. That is part of the new covenant. He remains faithful. It doesn't depend on your faithfulness. You are safe and secure in Christ the moment you accept him. Now, the other thing that the old covenant couldn't do, it couldn't make you perfect or it couldn't make you complete. There were continuous sins in the Old Testament that had to be dealt with. And those sins were the offering up of animal sacrifices. So how can we be complete of rest when we have to keep doing something to get rid of our sins? But the reason that we can live by faith today is to know that we are complete and perfect under the new covenant. The new covenant has the superiority of Christ's sacrifice compared to the blood of bulls and goats. The Bible says here in Hebrews 10.1, For the law, since it, has only, since it has only a shadow of the good things to come and not the very form of things, can never by the same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year make perfect those who draw near. So the law could not make anybody perfect. The observance of the law pointed to a time when sins would be paid in full and the debt was taken away forever. The truth is you cannot rest with stability. It only, you can only rest when you come to the realization that our sins are forgiven forever. Now, if I ask the average Christian, are your sins forgiven? They would say, yes, of course. God forgave me for my sins. But somehow they believe that they have to continue like they did in the Old Testament. They have to continue keeping up with their sins. Now, the question is, how can we believe that our sins are forgiven, and yet we buy into the fact that we will be judged for our sins when Jesus returns. The Christian passes through the judgment. He is not judged. The judgment is only for unbelievers. It is not for believers. The moment that you said yes to Christ, whether you understood what took place or not, at that very moment, you pass through the judgment. There is no judgment for the Christian. He's already been judged. 
Now, the observance of the law it pointed out our sins. But if we believe that our sins are forgiven, which they are, and yet we buy into the idea that we'll be judged for our sins, then we're making a big mistake. We're walking in a state of confusion. How could we be judged for our sins if the Bible says that they were taken away? How could we then be judged for them? The only worthy punishment for sin is death, and death is precisely what Jesus Christ did on our behalf. In Hebrews 9, 28, the Bible says this, For by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. That's 10, 14, excuse me. For, for by one offering he has perfected for all time, for all time, all time, those who are sanctified. The moment that you said yes to Christ, you were sanctified. The Bible says that you were set apart. Sanctification means you've been set apart for holy use. Now, there is a process of sanctification that will take us a lifetime. It'll take us a lifetime of growing and learning about God. But do not mistake that. Do not mistake. It's a process they call in the Bible the renewing of your mind. And we renew our mind by the promises that God has given to us. Lo, I will be with you always, even to the end. The, the idea that some have that God is going to be with us, but then at the end, we're going to have to face the judgment. All of our sins are going to be brought up on a screen is, is not true at all. That is not true. When God says that your sins are taken away. They're taken away. They're taken away forever. Now, how could, how could a God be our judge for our sins when he's taken them away? Well, he can't. He can't. Your sins can never come up before anybody, anywhere, and not even the judgment. In Hebrews <clears throat> Partial forgiveness provides partial relief from guilt, but breeds, breeds an unhealthy fear of the judgment. And I can't tell you how many Christians that I've discovered when I was an evangelist, how many Christians fear the judgment. There are some who feel that if they have left one sin unconfessed, that God will hold them accountable for, at the judgment. Listen, all of your sins were taken care of 2,000 years ago at Calvary. Whether you confess that sin or not has nothing to do with your forgiveness. It was the blood that, that Christ shed for the forgiveness of all sin at all time. Now, did you know that through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, God made you holy? Because he has. And for how long? Forever. Think about it. How much sense does it make for you to try to make yourself holy? There are millions of Christians today that are trying desperately. I mean, 
they have a they have a good motive, you know, to do all these things. But they believe that by studying the Bible, by quiet time, by the hours that they spend in prayer, that that is somehow going to make themselves holy. It doesn't. All those things are wonderful. Believe me, they are wonderful because you get to know God on a different level. They are all wonderful. But these things do not make you holy. There are monks, when I was in Egypt, there was, I went to the Mount Sinai, there are monks there that they have taken up uh, the, I think it's their, their commitment that they, they will not talk. They will not talk to anybody. They just study the Bible, study the Bible, study the Bible, and they think that that is going to make them closer to God, that is going to make them holy. It doesn't. It doesn't do it. It's believing that Christ has already done it that does it. That he's already done it. He has made us holy. So we need to ask ourselves, could the law make us perfect? Well, everybody would say, no, no, it couldn't. So what did Christ do? Well, he provided the perfect lamb so that through his sacrifice on the cross, he could make everyone perfect and complete through faith in him. Now, here's the issue, and here's a problem. People hear this, and they say, well, then there's something wrong with me. Because if God has made me holy, if God has made me perfect, if he's done all those things, how come I don't feel perfect? And how come I know that I'm not because of what goes through my mind and, and even the things that I do? Wait a minute, there's something wrong here. You're telling me that God made me holy, perfect, and complete. I don't get it. Because you'd think I would feel a little bit more than I do, but... No, I'm tortured with what goes on up here in my head. I can be reading the Bible and all of a sudden a bad thought would come through my head. How does that work? No, there's something wrong with me. Well, so what did God do then? What did God do when you said yes to Christ and you asked him to come into your life? What did he do under this new covenant? It's recorded back, way back, in the Old Testament. The prophet Ezekiel received a vision on what would take place. And he says this, Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you I, he says, I will cause you to walk in my statures and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. So here's what Christ did. Before you said yes to Christ, before you asked him to come into your life, you had the heart, you had a sinful heart. You had the heart of Adam. 
And what he did in was perform surgery on you. When you said yes, you may not understood it then, and you may not understand it quite yet now, but what he did is he reached in and he took out your heart of stone and replaced a new heart of flesh, and then he took that new heart of flesh and he filled you with the Holy Spirit. That's the miracle that took place under the new covenant. He opened you up, he took all, he cleansed you, he's forgiven you for all your sins, past, present, and future, all been taken care of. And he causes you, he puts his desires in you so that you want to do what God wants you to do. You don't always do it because of the problem up here. And Paul refers to it as sin that dwells in the flesh. Now, here's what happens to us. We are made holy at our core. You are perfect at your core. This is not some theological positional truth here. This is reality, what God has actually done when you said yes to him. He gave you this new heart, this new desire. Your desire, you don't want to sin. A born-again Christian does not want to sin. Does he sin? Yes. Why? Because it's sin that dwells within him. Now, the Bible says that your body is the house of indwelling sin. And so what does the Bible say? That when Christ returns, he's going to give us a new body. He's not going to give us a new heart. We already received a new heart. But he's going to give us a new body. And that's going to be the closing event. A new body. No more a leaning to. A propensity towards sin. No longer that. We have a new body that is not dwelt indwelt with sin. It's just that simple. The new covenant is a beautiful truth. That God stepped in. Cleaned house cleansed you and gave you a new spirit, a new heart, a heart that only wants to do what God wants you to do. But the issue is up here. And I've often said here that the key to a successful and abundant life of Christ is get what is down here, up here. And it's about 12 inches, it's not far. So we can get it up here. And the Bible says that's the renewing of the mind. That's the renewing. That's the sanctification process that takes a lifetime. It's a beautiful and wonderful truth that God has given to us. The new covenant is a powerful, powerful message. It gives us the answer to what we struggle with. Our answer to our growth and our commitment to God. God saw fit to be faithful to us no matter how faithless we are to him. We are precious in his sight. We are everything that God wants us to be. If there are some things that he has to do, he'll do it. Because he is, he is transforming us into the image of his son. So it's a process of a lifetime. 
But that combination of when Christ comes and gives us a new body without the indwelling sin is going to make it perfect for us. We already are perfect at our core. Believe it. It's true. It's absolutely true. What God has done to you is actually true. The new covenant, simply put, is Christ taking away our sins. And when we get to believe that, it's, it gives us a sense of freedom that we've never had in our life. We've been worrying about sinning. And, the, and what God says is, no, no, no. At the cross, the sin issue is over. You don't have to worry about it. You've got a new heart. You just believe that and you'll see the difference. You'll see the difference if you believe it. That's why the Bible says, when John the Baptist saw Christ, he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He took away the sin of the world. No one will be lost because of sin. It's only going to be because of unbelief. We are a forgiven people. And the Bible says in Hebrews 10, 12, But he, being offered one sacrifice for sin all, all of all for all time, sat down at the right hand of God. So here it is. He's forgiven our sins. In Hebrews 10, 17, the Bible says this. And their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. I mean, it doesn't get any clearer. God can't make it any plainer. And their sins and their lawless deeds, I will remember them no more. So forget about the idea that at the judgment we'll have to face our sins. No, we do not face our sins. The judgment is only for unbelievers, not for Christians. And then the Bible says this. Now where there is forgiveness of these things, there is no longer any offering for sin. Can't be made any plainer. There is forgiveness of sin. There's no longer any offering. There's no longer any begging and pleading for God to forgive you because you are living in a forgiven state. You are already forgiven. Jesus shed his blood and brought forgiveness. Since he doesn't, doesn't die daily, our forgiveness is not issued daily. It was once for all. Since he'll never die again, there is no further forgiveness needed. We live in a forgiven state. The gospel means good news. That's good news. That's good news that our sins are taken care of. The Bible says he's given us a new heart. That's good news. That is good news. The Bible says that not only has he given us a new heart, he has filled us with the Holy Spirit. That is good news. That is good news that every single one of us here have been filled with the Holy Spirit. The good news is that every single one of us here, we desire 
to do what God wants us to do. We really desire, we don't always do it. But that's what our desire is. And the only thing that keeps us from following through with our desire is this thing up here, is our mind. And our mind is part of our body. And the, God, and the Bible says that he's going to give us a new body where we will agree with everything God says. We will not have a propensity towards evil. We will not have a leaning towards evil. We won't have any of that. We will be what God says that we are. Because of his death, we live under the new covenant. The new covenant is the most powerful message we have found in the Bible. Because it tells us that we're okay. That we're okay. It tells us that we have a good, solid relationship with a God who loves us and he is faithful even when we're faithless. That's the good news of the gospel. It's great news. We have a fabulous and tremendous God who accepts us just the way we are. And then he promises that he's going to recreate us into his image. It doesn't get any better than that. Life doesn't get any better than that. Knowing what God says is true. Knowing that he remembers our sins and lawless acts no more. You are free. And the Bible says you are free indeed. Shall we pray? Our Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for the message of Hebrews and how you've made it so plain to us that everything, we can just trust God for everything. We can trust you, Lord. And we thank you for what you have done, what you have done to us by coming into our life, cleaning house, giving us a new heart, filling us with the Holy Spirit. We thank you and we praise you for that. And Lord, you can read the heart and mind of everyone here this morning. And every one of us, we desire to do what you would have us to do. Now, there are times that we don't. We are so thankful when those times come that you give us the assurance that everything is okay, that we're okay, and you got our back, you got us covered, and we're thankful for that. Now, I pray that you'll bless us throughout this day. It's a beautiful day, Lord, and we thank you for it. Meet the needs that each one of us have here. We're all different. We all have different needs. Different circumstances exist in our lives today. And we take all those circumstances and all those needs and we cast them at your feet. And we say, Lord, we praise you and thank you no matter what's happening in our lives for what you have done, what you are doing, and what you will complete. Bless us to this end, I pray, for we ask it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.